the name of Jesus. That's what we're here to honor and worship and celebrate this morning, our Savior and King. This morning in our passage in the book of Philippians, Paul is going to point us to the greatest treasure of all. He's going to point us to Jesus Christ and the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. It's what separates Christianity from every other faith in the world, our amazing God and Savior. It's interesting, uh, this week, a lot of our friends are on spring break trips, and uh, I was looking on uh, social media this weekend, some of our friends are down in Mexico, and uh, they were sending back pictures of, you know, these beautiful white sandy beaches and the sparkling blue waters, and, and uh, it got me daydreaming of some of my trips that I've had uh, over the years. One of, my, one of my favorite places to go, I've had the privilege of going to Maui a number of times, I've shared some stories with you, I, I teach there every year for youth with a mission, uh, a global mission organization that has some training bases there. In, in Hawaii. And uh, one of my favorite activities when I have some downtime is to go to the beach and go snorkeling. Uh, I, I've always loved snorkeling from the time I was a little kid, you know, whether it's, you know, just looking at the beautiful fish or hunting for seashells. Well, the last few years, one of my favorite activities when I go snorkeling is to, to look for treasure that uh, is floating around out there in the ocean. And what I mean by this is, you know, you think about it, you go to these big tourist beaches, right? And uh, there's got to be people losing coins and jewelry and all kinds of stuff. So, so I've started like hunting through the, uh, through the ocean when I'm out snorkeling, looking on the bottom of the sands for, for treasures. And I've come up with coins. Uh, I kid you not, a couple years ago, I'm snorkeling around in about 20 feet of water. I look down, there's an Apple Watch. I dove down, uh, I swam down, grabbed this Apple Watch, brought it up, and I was like, unbelievable, and took it to my wife, and we charged it. It looked like it was going to work, but it never really came back to life again, so that was kind of a downer. But that inspired me. And so uh, this last year when we went back to Maui, I'm thinking, man, if I found an Apple Watch, you know, there's got to be some lady out there. They, they just got engaged or married. She lost her wedding ring. So I'm swimming around thinking, like, I have these visions. I'm going to find this, you know, five-carat diamond ring or something. And, and uh, I, you know, so I'm swimming around snorkeling. And I, this, I kid you not, I'm swimming in the middle of this crystal clear ocean. And all of a sudden, about 15 feet down, I see this sparkle in the sand. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. And I look closer, and it's a ring. I'm not even kidding. There's a ring in the sunlight. It's just sparkling. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. Well, keep in mind, I've been swimming underwater already for, you know, quite, quite some time. And I'm losing breath, but I don't want to lose sight of this ring. So, so I do everything in my power to dive down, swim down right as I'm about to grab this ring. I literally could not breathe. I mean, my lungs were about to explode and I had to go back to the surface. So I swam back up to the surface and I looked down real quickly. Okay, I see the ring still there. I'm thinking, okay, get a deep breath. Let's go get this ring. I mean, I'm excited, right? I'm thinking like, I'm going to pay for our trip to Maui with this ring. So I dive back down. I reach down, grab the ring, right for the ring. At the last minute, a wave comes through and sweeps sand all across this ring I'm about to grab. And I lose it in the sand. And I'm thinking, no way. So I go back to the surface. I take another breath. I'm swimming around, looking around, trying to find the sparkle. I'm watching the tide sweep the sand back and forth. Sure enough, I see the ring again. So I go down a third time. I dive down, 15 feet down. I grab the ring 
I got it in my hand, this huge jewel on the end, sparkling in the light. I bring it up to the surface, and I think, this is amazing. I'm already, like, you know, trying to figure out where's the local pawn shop so I can go and uh, get some cash for this thing. So I take it up to the beach. I run up. I mean, I'm so excited. I'm, like, yelling like a madman, Cam, Caleb, Addy, you know, come see what I got. You know, all these other people are looking around, you know, who is this wild man? Well, I go running up to my wife, and I'm like, Kim, look what I found. And she's like, you know, her eyes get all big. Well, she takes the ring, and she looks at it. She says, Jason, this is costume jewelry. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, but what's it worth? She's like, it's fake. It's not worth anything. And I tell you, what, I was so dejected. I, I, I thought I had found this priceless treasure, and uh, it turns out it was just this worthless junk ring. But friends, this morning, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Philippians where Paul is going to share with us the treasure that he had found, uh, a treasure that was unlike the, the fake ring I found was the genuine article, a treasure that was far surpassing and worth anything else Paul had ever found or discovered in this world. And that was his relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul had come to find the greatest treasure of all. And this morning we're going to look at Paul's explanation of why Jesus is the greatest treasure. Paul is turning now. We're halfway through the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. We're coming off his, his extensive teaching on sanctification and these models of Christ that he's pointed us to. And now he wants to highlight the treasure that we have in the person of Jesus Christ, so that our hearts can abound with joy and overflow with joy and gratitude once again as we understand what we have in Jesus Christ. I want to read our passage for us this morning, and then I want to come back and I want to highlight for us three reasons that Paul shares today for why Jesus is the greatest treasure of all. Let me read this for us this morning. Starting in chapter 3, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, you got to love Paul here. I mean, what a, what a typical preacher, right? Finally, my brothers. I mean, he's only halfway through the book, and he's already getting us excited about uh, ending his sermon here. But finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. As to zeal, a Benjamin, uh, as, as, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Friends, this is one of the greatest passages in the whole Bible. I'd love to have a whole hour, two hours to expound on this passage because there is so much rich beauty in here pointing us to the treasure that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul highlights here for us three reasons why Jesus is the greatest treasure of all. Friends, I don't want any of us to leave here today taking our relationship with Jesus Christ for granted. We need to understand what it is that is so special about Jesus Christ. And here Paul highlights Jesus for us as the greatest treasure of all. Number one, Paul says to us, Jesus is the greatest treasure of all because there is no greater joy in this world than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the greatest source of joy any of us could ever hope to find. Paul begins our passage this morning, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now, that's kind of an interesting phrase. What does Paul mean there when he says to, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me? Well, what Paul is saying there is, look it, I just told you rejoice in the Lord. And you know what? I've already told you this about a half dozen times in this letter. And to write the same thing to you over and over again is just great because there's nothing better for us than to rejoice in the Lord. So when I visited you in person, I preached on rejoicing in the Lord. When you read my letter, I'm talking about joy all over the place, joy in the Lord. And you know what? To write the same thing to you again is no trouble for me because I will declare rejoice in the Lord all day long because there's nothing better for any of us than to rejoice in Jesus Christ. Paul was a man, friends, who was abounding in joy. He had discovered the secret to true joy. He had discovered the treasure of Jesus and the joy that a relationship with Jesus brings. And he wanted his friends in Philippi. He wants all of us here today to know and to share in that joy too. Now, friends, it's important that we recognize this morning that biblical joy, the kind of joy that Paul is talking about, is something very different from mere happiness. You know, a lot of people in our world are looking for happiness. But happiness is not what Paul's talking about. Happiness is not what the Bible calls us to as Christians, as followers of Jesus. In fact, the word happiness comes from a Latin word, fortuna. It's where we get our English word fortune from. In other words, happiness is based on our fortunes or our circumstances. And friends, for a lot of people in our world, that's just it. We're happy when our circumstances work out the way we hope they would do. We're happy when, when our life is going the way we want it to go. But happiness for most people is a, is a subjective experience based on the realities of our lives. But understand, that's not what Paul's calling us to here. When Paul calls us to rejoice in the Lord, he's calling us to something far better than just mere happiness. The joy that Paul speaks of is something that's not dependent on our circumstances. Real joy transcends our circumstances. Authentic joy actually superintends our circumstances. True joy comes not from what we experience in life, but from a relationship with the giver of abundant life. 
See, friends, when you know God and have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, that's where you discover the secret to real joy. When Paul tells his friends in Philippians numerous times in our letter, rejoice. When Paul says rejoice, we need to understand this morning that the word rejoice literally means to return to the source of your joy. That's what it means to rejoice. We return to the source of our joy. What is the source of our joy as Christians, friends? The source of our joy is our God, our Creator, our Savior, our Lord. He is the source of our joy. And He is true and steadfast and faithful no matter the circumstances we find ourselves in. And so Paul says, rejoice, return to the source of your joy. And all throughout Scripture, we see the truth that God is the greatest source of joy we could hope for. Psalm 1611, King David shares with us, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy, totality of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Friends, are you looking for real joy? You won't find it in any other place than in a personal relationship with your creator, God. In Nehemiah 8.10, the prophet Nehemiah tells the people of Israel, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Friends, are you wrestling with discouragement today? Are you despairing your circumstances today? Nehemiah says, look to the Lord, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is why Paul says over and over again, look at to write these same things to me, to you is no problem for me. I'll tell you this all day long. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And he goes on here in verse one to rejoice in the Lord. He says is safe for you. Now, again, that's an interesting phrase. What does that mean to rejoice in the Lord? It it is safe for you, Paul says. Well, in the Greek, that, that term there literally means a safeguard. Paul says to rejoice in the Lord is a safeguard for you. Now, friends, understand this. How is rejoicing in the Lord a safeguard for us? What, what is rejoicing safeguard us from? Well, a number of things. Number one, from, from despair, as I mentioned a moment ago. When, when our hope is in the Lord, when our joy is in the Lord, that helps us in times of discouragement. It, it points us back to our true joy. Rejoicing in the Lord safeguards us from temptation. Friends, when you understand that there's no better joy in this world than Jesus, that is a great safeguard against temptation. When you recognize that all the pleasures the world has to offer, money, lust, friends, fame, power, all of those things pale in comparison to the joy that's found in Jesus. So rejoicing is a safeguard. But in this context, particularly here in chapter 3, Paul wants us to recognize that rejoicing in the Lord is a safeguard, thirdly, from false religion that seeks to rob us of our joy. Friends, did you know that there are false religions in our world that seek to rob us of our joy? How is that? Well, Paul's going to share with us here as we go on in our passage this morning. Paul goes on, point number two today, why is Jesus the greatest treasure of all? Secondly, because as he shares with us, there is no surer hope than Jesus. There's no surer hope than Jesus. Paul says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. 
Now, those are harsh words here. Who is Paul talking about? Well, Paul is talking about a group that that historians refer to as the Judaizers. These were teachers that were following up Paul's ministry all throughout the Middle East. When Paul would go in and plant churches, these Judaizers would come in behind him and sow seeds of discord and division by promoting a false gospel, a false religion that they would tell people was necessary for them to have a right relationship with God. If you remember last year, we studied the book of Galatians. The whole letter to the Galatians was a response to these false teachers, the Judaizers. And here again, Paul is showing us his frustration with these people who are leading the church astray, promoting a legalistic works-based religion, a Jesus-plus religion, a, a religion that says, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, believe in Jesus, but you also have to add on top of Jesus following the laws of the Old Testament, circumcision and all the laws, the 613 laws in the Old Testament. It's a Jesus plus kind of situation. But friends, Paul in Galatians says, let these people be accursed. He says, let them be accursed because they are leading people astray. Understand this morning, Jesus plus anything else is not the gospel. And that's why Paul was so upset with these people. Because Jesus plus anything else is not the gospel. True salvation, Paul says, is found only in a life-giving relationship with Jesus that comes by grace through faith. It wasn't about being circumcised. That's why Paul goes on and says, we are the true circumcision. Because all throughout scripture, God wasn't as concerned about the physical stuff we did as much as what was going on in our hearts. And even when it comes to circumcision, all the way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 10, 16, Jeremiah 9, 23 through 26, even in the Old Testament, God says, I'm more concerned about the circumcision of your heart than of your flesh. God wanted our hearts to be right before him. And this is what Paul had discovered that distinguished Christianity from the former religion that he had been involved in. Paul says, look, these guys are coming to you trying to convince you that you have to follow Jesus plus do all of these religious works to earn favor with God. Paul says, look, not only is that rubbish, he says, garbage, dung, but it's not going to help you out at all. And trust me, I know, because if anyone has reason to boast in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. And he goes on and he shares his personal background. I mean, this guy was the Jew of Jews. Zealous, a keeper of the law, a Pharisee. I mean, he was matchless when it came to devotion to the Old Testament Jewish system. But Paul says, look at I compared all of those works, all of my, uh, everything I had attained. And now today I count it all as rubbish in light of the far surpassing worth that is found in Jesus Christ. Friends, we have in our world today millions of people who still pursue religious works and rituals trying to attain favor with God, trying to earn their way to salvation. I've traveled to 30 countries around the world. I've seen the religions of the world firsthand. 
I've seen the ways that men and women work and strive to please God, to attain his favor. I've seen little old ladies crawling on their hands and knees down rough cobblestone paths into Catholic churches in Guatemala with bruised, bloody knees as they crawl their way to the altar to kiss the feet of a statue of the Virgin Mary seeking to gain penance and forgiveness for their sins. I've watched men in the Philippines on Good Friday flagellate themselves, crucify themselves to crosses, seeking to earn favor with God, to build up merit, to buy time out of purgatory. I've watched Hindu gurus in Malaysia dig large poles with fishing hooks on the ends of them into their flesh. And as the weight of these metal poles tears at their flesh, they climb 272 steps up to the entrance of the Batu caves where they bow down and worship the Hindu idols, seeking to gain penance and forgiveness. You can go to the Middle East this morning and you'll hear the Muslim calls to prayer over the minarets. And when the Muslims go to the mosques five times a day to pray, they always pray the same thing. They say, they pray, God, have mercy on me. And the reason a Muslim begs for mercy is because they do not know the grace of God. They do not know the free gift of salvation offered to us. Instead, they believe that all is going to weigh our good and bad deeds in a balancing scale. But you see, they never know if they're doing enough. And so they beg for mercy. We could go down to Irian Jaya next to Papua New Guinea and walk into the Dani village. And, and there, the very first thing you would notice in the Dani village is that very few of the women in that village have fingers. You see, whenever somebody dies in that village, each of the women are required to take a machete and chop off another finger at the knuckle, seeking to appease the ancestral spirits that they worship as gods. Friends, understand something this morning. There is something very different about the grace that we find in Jesus Christ from the religions of the world. And these are obviously extreme examples, but friends, understand, we are no less prone today to falling into the very same religious trap. I mean, how many people in our community this morning, how many people maybe even in our church this morning are trying to prove their worth to God, or earn their favor with God through their church attendance, through their good works, through, through the money they give, through their service projects. Friends, so many people get caught up in the trap of religion. And this is what Paul is talking about here this morning. Paul is saying, look at the problem with religion is you never know if you're doing enough. How do you know that you're doing enough? Paul says, look, at I balanced the ledger books. I, I was the Jew of Jews, the Hebrew of Hebrews. I was more zealous than anyone. I kept the laws better than anyone. I, I balanced the books, and I realized that all that I had done was a loss compared to the far surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ and resting in his amazing grace. See, Paul had had an experience that transformed his view of religion and his religious strivings into a recognition that true relationship with God comes by faith 
in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. This is why in verse 9, Paul says he doesn't want to be found placing his hope in his righteousness. Paul says in verse 9, I want to be found in him. I want to be found in him. Look at when I stand before God one day, I don't want to be found placing my hope in the things I have done. Why? Because Romans 3.23 tells us that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us can stand in God's presence. So I don't want to be found in my righteousness. I want to be found standing in the righteousness of Christ. The one who lived a sinless and perfect life. The one who went to the cross as the perfect lamb of God. The spotless lamb of God. The perfect sacrifice to take away my sins. Because Paul recognized that all of our religious works and efforts could never be enough to enter into the presence of a perfect holy God. You know, it's baseball season coming up here right around the corner. Spring training's begun. And you know, when you think about the goal of the batters in baseball, right? What are they trying to do? They're trying to attain the best batting average they can get. And in baseball, if you're batting, you know, 250 or 300, which means basically three out of 10 times you get a hit, right? If you're batting 300, I mean, you're like all-star level today. If you're batting 400, four out of 10 times, I mean, you're on legendary status. Paul says, look it, when it comes to religion, you need to be batting a thousand because that's God's standard. It's perfection. It's holiness. And friends, if you're not batting a thousand in life today, you're in big trouble. Paul says in Romans 6.23, the wages of our sin is death. Because we all fall short of the glory of God. The good news for us this morning, though, is that the free gift of grace that's offered to us in Jesus Christ is available to each and every one of us when we put our faith and trust in him. Paul says we don't need religion. We need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He goes on thirdly in our passage this morning. He says there's no greater treasure than Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's no better goal than Jesus Christ. Paul's aims and desires in life had been completely transformed by his experience of God's grace in Jesus Christ. He had traded the burden of religious works for the blessings of fellowship with the Lord. And now Paul tells us that as a result of his new life in Christ, he had just three goals. Here in verses 10 and 11, he says, What are my goals? I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What were Paul's goals, friends? He wanted to grasp Christ's power for living. The, the power of God, the sanctifying power of God, we talked about back in Philippians 2.13. God works in you through the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. Paul says, look, at, I want to know that power even more. He says, secondly, I want to grow through sharing in Christ's sufferings. Now, friends, we often try to flee from suffering. We don't want suffering. Paul says, look, no, I want to suffer. I want to suffer like Christ. Why? Because when we suffer, the Bible tells us that produces character and perseverance and hope and conforms us more into the image of Christ, which should be our goal. So Paul says, look, if suffering is God's ordained means to help me become more like Jesus, then bring it on. Bring it on. Because I want to be like Jesus. 
He says, thirdly, he wanted to gain the prize of Christ's eternal glory. Friends, Paul is not unsure here about his future resurrection. When he says, by any means possible, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead, he was confident on his resurrection. But what he's unsure of here is the way that that resurrection would play out. Was he going to be beheaded by Nero while in prison in Rome? Was he going to be free and live to a ripe old age? Was Jesus going to return from him, for, uh, from, from heaven for the believers before they died? Paul didn't know. But he says, look, at by any means, whether it's Nero's sword or old age, my goal is to share in Christ's glory by experiencing the same resurrection that Jesus experienced. Paul was a man, friends, who put Jesus first and foremost above all else. In Galatians 2.20, Paul declares, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The driving motivation of Paul's life, friends, was not I, but Christ. So many people get that backwards. So many people say, not Christ, but I. We want to sit on the throne of our hearts. We want to lead the way. We want to be the ones who run the show. But Paul says, no, that's not where joy is found. Joy is found when we put Christ first, not I, but Christ. He lived with eternity's values in view. And that changed everything. It changes, friends, when we live with our eternity's values in view, when we treasure Jesus above all else, that, that changes our basis for joy. It changes our motivations for living. It changes our view of trials and tribulations in this life. And so this morning, I want to ask you, do you treasure Jesus above all else? Have you put your hope in Jesus above all else? Have you embraced Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord? And if not, what are you waiting for? Don't delay. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't delay. Don't think tomorrow will come or next week will come or next year will come. There are no guarantees. Today is the day of salvation. And for those of you who have embraced Jesus as Savior and Lord, let me ask you this morning, are you living your days in light of eternity like Paul? Are you treasuring Christ above all else? Are God's priorities your priorities? Can you join Paul in saying, not I, but Christ? Pastor Kent Hughes makes this interesting observation about this passage. He says, There is no doubt that if any of us knew today to be the final days of our lives, we would wish that we had made Christ the passion of our existence. Friends, don't miss out on treasuring Jesus above all and living for him above all. There's no greater treasure than Jesus Christ. There's no cause worth living for greater than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's set our hearts on Christ. Let's join the Apostle Paul in praying, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to know the power of your resurrection. I want to share in your sufferings, becoming more like you. And when I die, whenever that may be, let me share in your eternal glory. Let's close in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this tremendous word from the Apostle Paul here in Philippians 3. 
We thank you for how Paul came to discover the greatest treasure of all and how he points us to that greatest of treasures. The reality of a relationship with you through faith because of grace. Our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, your means of our salvation. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. We thank you for how you purchased our salvation on the cross. And through your shed blood, we can receive forgiveness of sin. And for those of us here this morning who have put our faith and trust in you, we praise you, we worship you, we lift your name on high, recognizing that there is no joy, no treasure, nor ho- no hope, no goal greater than you, Jesus. Help us live with your eternal values in view. May you always sit on the throne of our hearts. May we treasure you above all else. We praise you, Jesus. Amen.